0: Hello, and welcome to the Red Box podcast on the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Never let it be said that we ignore our listeners. Well, I am going to ignore Charles Lawley, claiming that the podcast has reached a level of poshness never seen before since I took over. And I shall overlook the person who said the programme is like Fox News for Ramoners, like dry carrot cake in podcast form. It's palatable, but it would be better if the balance of his ingredients were tweaked, they said, so we should ignore that. Instead, I shall refer to both Georgie Burns and someone who calls himself XBCUG42, who seemed to prefer things when Tim Tim Montgomery was in charge in these parts and wanted him to come back. Well, praise be, after weeks of trying, we are finally joined by Tim, who this week will argue that Donald Trump might actually make America great again. Anne Ashworth, property editor for the Times, wonders if millions will ever be able to call a house a home. But first, Henry Zeffman from the Times lobby team on how Whitehall is echoing to the sound of sharp reversals and screeching U-turns.
1: In her speech to the Conservative Party conference less than two months ago, Theresa May vowed to put workers on company boards and told misbehaving businesses, we're coming after you. But at the CBI this week, she promised to work with business, said the workers on boards policy would not be compulsory, and appeared accidentally to commit herself to a corporation tax race to the bottom with Donald Trump. Couple this with the U turn on pay stay rents and the government's continuing difficulties in preparing for Brexit, and it's clear there is a serious danger of drift and muddle. But with Labour nowhere to be seen, does any of it even matter?
0: There seems to be this strange phenomenon of Theresa May giving speeches aimed only at the audience in the room in which she's giving it, ignoring the fact that other people might be listening in because now she's Prime Minister. So at the party conference is all about the Toy party faithful and, to some extent, the sort of voters that the Toy party wants to win over. So there was lots of bashing business and this idea of putting workers on boards. And then she goes to the CBI and says, oh, no, no, I love business, I love business. And this idea of forcing workers onto boards is, is voluntary. And actually, we might not do it at all.
1: Well, for such a, an experienced politician, it is a remarkably uh, naive approach. I mean, she and her team were genuinely... We're told spooked by the response of business to her Conservative Party conference speech. Well, of course they were spooked. She told uh, the Conservative Party conference that uh, she was coming after misbehaving businesses and going to put workers on their boards. Well, that's not just the few hundred people in the room. That's that's national uh, television, which is taking the feed live. And, you know, I'm sure plenty of FTSE 100 CEOs, if they didn't get to see it live, will watch it back later because it's a speech by the prime minister. I mean, there is something quite interesting going on with Theresa May here. She came into office with a genuinely refreshing and new vision of conservatism. Uh, You know, she said on the steps of Downing Street, I want a country that works for everyone and, and sort of enumerated all sorts of different sectors of society and different people who she felt her kind of conservatism would work for. It was very different to Cameroon conservatism, but still identifiably modernising and different to, to Thatcher conservatism. But, you know, only a few months in, and it's it's kind of unclear where that's all gone. And the workers on board's policy is, is a great example of this. Theresa May hinted at it very early in her prime ministership. She, she said it, you know, it was an applause line, a big applause line in her conference speech, and then dropped within, what, four months of becoming prime minister. I mean, there's two interpretations of this, and neither of them particularly charitable to Theresa May. You know, either after four months in office, she's come up against some sort of internal logic of being prime minister, which says you just can't do all this stuff. Uh, or she hasn't got the, the metal or the gumption to follow through on her rhetoric. Neither of them reflects particularly well on how she's running Downing Street. And then you add into that the difficulties in managing Brexit Obviously, it's a gargantuan task, which any prime minister, be they new or not, would would struggle with. But, uh, you know, as we report in the paper today, her flagship measure, the Great Repeal Bill, uh, which will pass over into British law, all EU law, ready for the day after we leave the European Union, is really struggling to be prepared um, for two reasons one, the legal complexity of it but the other is is all sorts of people in Whitehall just saying that they haven't got the right people on this task Tim, good U-turn, bad U-turn
2: or are U-t- can, can U-turn sometimes be good? Uh, U-turns are definitely a good thing if you're uh, heading in the wrong direction and politicians, one of the big problems with politics is um, politicians are afraid to make mistakes unlike in business where if you start making a loss on something you abandon it <laughs> loss is as important as profit in capitalism there isn't normally that motive in politics you dig deeper into a hole so changing course is a good thing I agree with uh, Henry's analysis um, I think there is a signs of quite serious drift in the government and I think you can partly excuse that, that Theresa May didn't really have proper preparatory time before she became Prime Minister. Um, you know, It wasn't expected that we would um, vote for Brexit. Uh, some then didn't think David Cameron would leave. She's had to uh, move into being Prime Minister incredibly quickly. Um, I think her problems are compounded by the inadequacy of her team in Downing Street. I think it's a very weak team, almost like-for-like, like, head of comms, chief of staff, etc., etc., compared to what David Cameron had. It's weaker. And I also think there is an idea of Theresa May that doesn't fit the reality. The fact is, she's seen as this super competent person who delivers what she says she will deliver. I think there's an exaggerated idea of her success as Home Secretary. Yes, it was a graveyard in the post-war period, but that was partly because it was a much bigger job. Um, Justice was hived off. She had a much smaller area of turf to manage. And in that area of turf, on immigration, elected police chiefs, uh, the child abuse inquiry, she didn't really succeed. So now she's got this much bigger job after not really doing that well in the job she
3: did have. I'm just wondering whether these U-turns for the average person will be just like white noise. They won't necessarily perceive there's been a reversal of policy here, and indeed... Those in the know might say this is very Silicon Valley, West Coast tech company, fail and fail fast. If something isn't going very well, you abandon it quickly. There will be, though, one area on which she is particularly scrutinised, and that is those pledges for the just-about-managing classes. Now, we're not quite clear exactly who these people are. But there are big expectations among certain families who find the cost of childcare prohibitive, who are thinking about Christmas now not with glee, but with concern about how much they're spending as to whether she will deliver for them. And I think that small u-turns m- may not matter it will be that central pledge towards millions of people whose support she will need if, when she stands for at a general election on which she will be assessed
0: part of the problem I, I can see with just about managing is that almost everyone thinks they're just about managing even people earning double triple four times the average salary or people barely live within their means you know you always you'd always like a bigger car or a new telly or a that's new the ho- another holiday. Genius of it, man! So, yeah. Everyone brings well, their <laughs> It is up until the point that you think, well, there's nothing in that for me. And I think that's the that's the problem. Instead of focusing your attention on a particular group and then you can be seen to be delivering for them. The danger is that everyone thinks, well, hang on a minute, I'm a, I'm only just about managing because I've only had three holidays this year, um, and there's nothing in it in it for me. But then actually, the point that you're making to him is that when this comes up against a general election, none of this is going to matter, is it? If she's if she's going into it against Jeremy Corbyn, and it could mean that. That leads to bad government because ideas are picked up and dropped all over the place. But Labour are incapable of making any
1: I think it headway. absolutely leads to, to bad government. I mean, yesterday was was really quite a difficult day uh, for Theresa May. In fact, uh, after one of her most difficult weeks as Prime Minister, um, she had the sort of row over the, the memo about the government's preparedness for Brexit, which was reported in The Times. But Jeremy Corbyn, in his speech to the CBI, rather than going on, on after the government, sort of babbled on about... Uh, the fourth industrial revolution meaning we need an internet of things and cyber workspaces and updated factories, which is not strong scrutiny of the government. I mean, we, we had polling last week which showed Theresa May with a 30-point lead, 48-18, over Jeremy Corbyn on being a prime minister. I mean, it leads to bad government. It means that, you know, even when she does come up at the general election, even if there are plenty of people, whichever segment of the just about managing they place themselves in, even if they think, well, this government hasn't quite delivered for me as I think many people did think about David Cameron in 2015 they look at the other team and go yeah but that government's definitely not going to deliver for me
3: but aren't we at a moment where things can turn on a sixpence where public opinion is is less loyal far more fickle and if some of these promises towards these jams, I hate the word, but that's what we're calling them. <laughs> Darren should and hate not it as well. F- they,
0: they, they, they can't get the genie back in the bottle now. It's, it's out there.
3: We are an age of the acronym after all. <laughs> but if those aren't delivered, there will be a level of discontent. We have shown people used to just moan. Now they'll go to the ballot box and make and put an X to say, I'm not happy and i just wonder whether that is will become crystallized next year when if you are in a low income group 1 pound out of every 6 of income you spend on food you will start paying more for your groceries you will start to really hurt, and then you will feel I'm just about managing and what has been done for me.
0: Tim, the last time you were on the podcast was just after the referendum, and it all got a bit heated. I seem to remember, and you, you said oh, yes, that sir. people <laughs> were being you said that people were being a bit too gloomy. What's your assessment now of of where we are, how the government's managing Brexit, and this you know battle between Ramoners, Remainers, and all of that?
2: Well, I- we're, we're recording on tuesday to a day ahead of the autumn statement and i probably would prefer to sort of give the assessment after that in a way because one of the reasons why people voted for brexit was wanted control of their own laws but you know with the phenomena we're seeing around the world of course the other phenomena is that they just want change there's majorities in nearly every single country in the world um i think from uh, ipsos mori i think was the, the the source of it that say their country's going in the wrong direction and so people were voting for a big press of the reset button and it was always one of the reasons why i thought the new prime minister needed to be someone more like boris than Theresa, because she doesn't have a record of being bold i fear the autumn statement is going to be confirmation that we have a government that despite a lot of big talk is closer to continuity than change and mm-hmm. So I I think Brexit can still succeed. I think there's all sorts of short-term transitional costs. But we needed a bold vision of what the country could be. Big investments in infrastructure, a big reorientation of the tax and benefit system to working people. That's the kind of agenda I hope that the Conservative Party would have the opportunity of, of building. I see lots of rhetoric, but I see precious little action. And I'm beginning to worry more on that side than on, on the you know negotiations with the EU.
3: We like big. There's a kind of preference for big. Trump, whatever you might think of him, is a larger than life character. His promises are huge. His flat is ornate there is a feeling that that make that kind of its size matters doesn't it that people like that kind of approach they think that that seems to exemplify change and maybe as you say continuity is not what we're looking for now we're looking for things we're looking for another revolution but not the sort that i think mr corbyn is talking about
0: well let's move on and talk about one area in particular and
3: the greatest challenge to the government's housing target is the nation's fundamental distrust of new developments. There is an assumption that new homes will be neither beautiful nor contextual. Mrs May's government should be and must be at the forefront of an era of great domestic architecture design. But how can this be achieved?
0: So when we, we await the Government's white paper on housing. We don't really seem to know when it's coming, and I'm, it's not totally clear that they do either. And then there's not a lot of faith that it's going to be any bigger and bolder than what seems like these annual housing white papers that come out of all governments.
3: Now, whatever happens, we need 300,000 new homes a year. How we achieve it is really interesting because you're going to come up against massive opposition from people in areas that need new housing. People do not want more homes in their their village because there may not be a new road or a new school, a new pharmacy, a new GP's clinic, and the middle classes will protest. And somehow we have to win hearts and minds. Now, the housing minister, Gavin Barwell, at the Tory party conference was very persuasive. He seemed to really have a grasp of his brief and how people feel about new homes, those who don't want them in their village and those who desperately need them. But I would say that most of the distrust comes thinking, oh, God, those will look like that new development they put up in the 1960s. And we are in a country which has all these phenomenal architects But most new homes are not actually designed by architects. So we need to have a real kind of, it needs to be a real, I keep saying the word revolution in what new homes look like. Rather than they need to be contextual, there needs to be a school built before the homes are built. And we need, everybody needs buy-in in in this, but there is that fundamental mistrust of the new. We like a Georgian rectory. We'd all like to live in one. It's not possible. We'll have to support higher density, higher buildings. This is when all these architects who do gorgeous airports and everything like that for everywhere else in the world need to come to the forefront. I mean, we're known for our great design. Why is it so absent from the average new development
0: tim isn't isn't part of the problem They actually the, the sort of houses that are built at the moment they're just cheaper to build like that you know the the ones that you see particularly on on large estates they have small windows because mm. bricks are cheaper than glass and they get thrown up and they get crammed in because the developer wants to get as much as possible out of it and what they look like is
2: quite far down on the, the list on the, the priorities I'm, I'm sure that's right matt but i think Anne's insight is really important i, th- I think the estimate is that we need to be building 300,000 homes a year to uh, begin to catch up with uh, demand but almost the worst thing that could happen would be that we built 400,000 or 500,000 homes for a couple of years but they were incredibly ugly because nothing would do more to convince people that actually they don't want developments in their backyard. Having beauty in design I think is could be transformational in the housing debate, which is why I think what Anne is talking about is so important. And if we could be much more imaginative, you know, some of the I saw a recent development in Harlow, very beautiful, environmentally a sound development, and people really wanted to to live there. And if only we could do more of that. And it may be a case where some greater form of regulation is necessary, you know, to actually put just some underpinnings through. of standards.
4: Do we
3: need a design czar, maybe? Oh, I that's, mean,
2: the, that's a sign of a, of a policy <laughs> being,
0: being kicked no, well into the no, grass, but, isn't it? We've appointed a design czar. We just
3: need to be able to say, this will be beautiful. This will look like your village. Only better than the houses that you currently have because they'll be sustainable, far more energy efficient and people should want to live in them. But believe me, if you if you do my job, all you hear is how much people hate the new thing that was built next Mm. to them.
1: Just to look at this from from the side of of renters as well, which I have some acquaintance with. I mean, London... I think is going to grow by the size of Bristol Mm. in the next four years in Sadiq Khan's term as mayor of London I mean obviously however great this housing white paper may transpire to be although you know hopes aren't that high necessarily it's not going to alleviate that the housing crisis that that sort of influx is going to is, is going to create and so one of the things you have to do as well as trying to alleviate the housing crisis is make renting better now part of that is you know, making tenancies more secure, enabling people to have longer tenancies, but I think also it's just making nicer flats for people to live in.
3: Great build-to-rent blocks like the Americans have where you can live well, save some money for a depositor on a house if that's your home then we need to have real support for what they call the bill to rent sector for family blocks where people where which are also have lots of communal spaces it's like the best kind of commune the commune for the 21st century
0: how much do you think that well both voters but also politicians need to move away from the idea of owning because uh well even the conservatives in the 2015 election but huge storm against everyone being able to buy their own homes helped by all of that and yet the proportion of people who own, their own home is going down and down and down.
3: Two very big problems um, confront housing. The private rented sector in this country is now bigger than social housing. We need to address the fact that councils need to build more social homes If you are going to have, and the second problem is, is if you're going to have a whole generation going into retirement, still renting, they've never been able to climb onto the housing ladder, how from meagre pensions will they be able to afford Mm. their rents? Now, that is one of the reasons I am told underlies the push for home ownership amongst government. But if you cannot facilitate home ownership, then what happens? We will have people currently in their 30s who are never going to be able to own At age 75, from a pension that barely meets their living costs, how are they going to meet what rents will be like then?
0: And just remind me, because I think you had in your bricks and mortar a couple of weeks ago the impact of Brexit on your home, was that right?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting to see what the housing market took a hit, particularly in London, and now things appear to have gone back to normal. But you see what the level of transaction is, the level of sales, they're nowhere like what we need to be we need to be buying and selling houses in this country have a mobile housing market and also just recognize maybe sometimes there's got to be a need for a certain selflessness here that if you've got your own home maybe somebody else needs one so don't protest at every single aspect of a new development near you
0: especially if it looks nice <laughs> right let's move on um, uh, tim you uh, are going to look across the atlantic
2: well, I'm very grateful for my, what was it, Auntie Georgie Burns and Uncle XB Cug 42 you mentioned at the start yes. of the podcast, you want me And um, yes. um, When they hear me sort of making nice, saying nice things about Donald Trump, maybe they'll have a different view. And uh, I didn't want a President Trump, uh, mainly because of all the moral norms that he has crashed through. But I think it's too harsh on Americans to be quite as judgmental as most Brits are towards the fact that they have elected Him on NATO, infrastructure, neglect of the working class, and the general inadequate political class in Washington, there's a chance he might make America great again. Might. So, where to to begin? (laughs) Where
0: where to begin with Donald Trump? We'll come on to Nigel Farage, uh, whether or not he's going to make Nigel Farage great again. in a minute, but do you think, because actually on the sort of policy stuff which is actually relevant to the job of being president the, this you've just given there, NATO infrastructure you know, there's some interesting stuff there which lots of people would find hard to disagree with, his, the problem is it's the man and his personality and the stuff that he says and the stuff that he still says even after having won the election
2: Look, well I agree with nearly all of the criticisms that we are all they're all pretty well established in britain of donald trump you know there is signs to his character that are incredibly ugly and quite sinister and i worry particularly his cozying up to putin but i kind of think we know all that i'm just trying a little bit to Offer something different. And not just because he's pro-Brexit, although I think, you know, Brits should appreciate that. There was something more dysfunctional in Washington politics than our own politics. There was a complete gridlock in ability to, to do anything. Because of the enormous power of money in US politics, you had a Democratic Party that was far too close to the school unions, so they apology, you know, opposed education reform. Um, on, you know, on the right, the um, Republicans are far too close to the gun lobby. You know, the, the, I, the Washington was ideologically frozen. Uh, Donald Trump, for all his faults, is not ideologically frozen. He's got an open mind on lots of things. You know, he, he's, he, it's almost he, like he hasn't thought uh, about yes. it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the early, you know, if he appoints someone like Mitt Romney, you know, to be his secretary of state, that seems very, very possible. You know, if people like Rudy Giuliani, you know, who transformed New York when he was mayor, you know, he's a controversial person, but he was a very good chief executive of that city if the quality of his appointments are quite good if he really is willing to work with democrats for example on an infrastructure bill in a way that a typical republican president wouldn't the fact that he can deliver tax reform you know, america's tax system is even more complicated than our own he's got no excuses now but you know to work with mitch mcconnell the leader of the senate and paul ryan the leader of the house they could sort out the tax system in the next two years because for a period at least divided government is over in in washington and on things you know like nato it is ridiculous you know european politicians we love being superior you know being superior to america wondering quite how this you know technologically sophisticated rich military powerful nation and we we still think it's stupid you know we have a very very sort of superior view to it but we have underspent on our defence not Britain particularly but most European nations for a very long time we've just taken the American security blanket for granted and him challenging that's a good thing as well so you know I repeat 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 Matt I'm very worried about him but there are early signs in some of the decisions that he's taking which are quite encouraging and let's not ignore the significant silver lining to the to the black cloud
0: and he could be just the sort of big bold reset of the revolution that you you wanted to see?
3: When Tim was just talking I was remembering a sort of old American song which was accentuate the positive eliminate the negative and don't mess with Mr. In Between. Now I'm going to put aside all my misgivings. This idea that women are now, you know, that our place in the workplace may be questioned, and that all you need to be is a glamorous fembot standing by your man. Um, <laughs> to say there is much that is very persuasive in the Trump rhetoric. The idea that we know just how many bits of America just look as if they need fixing: the roads, the airports, the mm-hmm. bridges. That idea of infrastructure spending is something that seems quite admirable and something uh, we, on which we might also pause to give some thought. And I'd also, we keep hearing about this this confusion about as to why America elected this man. America does not like, the Amer- average American doesn't like lawyers. They like businessmen, particularly with a bit of a t- Kardashian tinge. <laughs> and you see the Trumps all lined up, beautifully tailored, good-looking, People, lots of blow dry, lots of gorgeous nails, and they feel much more confident in those people than they see uh, than in a group of of Washington lawyers, which was what the Democrats appear to an awful lot of people in Middle America. And how we can't get that simple truth astounds me.
0: One of the things that always strikes me is when the UK government makes an announcement on infrastructure, they mean that they're going, they're thinking about duelling part of the A303, <laughs> which I'm very keen on because I use the A303 a lot. I think of the, you know, but none of it is big bold stuff. It's sort of all you know, that a town is going to get that roundabout they've always wanted or mm-hmm. some new lights. You know, HS2 is in enti- is totally bogged down in it, and we're going to end up building something that is going to be out of date probably by the time we we get there.
1: I mean, I don't want to be too gloomy, but but I I do think the boldest thing Trump has done so far as appoint someone who's soft on neo-Nazis at best as his chief strategist. I mean, it is absolutely right. It might be very good if Trump does indeed appoint Mitt Romney as his Secretary of State, although it's an open question over whether he would actually listen to him or whether he'd just be a fig leaf who'd have to resign at some point. But the people who he has appointed so far speak to all the moral misgivings which which Tim said, you know, rightly pointed out at the start of his thing. I mean, so this guy Steve Bannon, his chief strategist has described himself as uh, on the website Breitbart, which he used to run as being the natural home of the alt-right the alt-right, if you leave aside their sort of cosy millennial name they are the KKK without hoods Uh, Their leader, Richard Spencer, who again sort of looks cool and modern, was at a conference in Washington this week where all the attendees did a Nazi salute and chanted Lugan the Nazi word for the lying press. Uh, His nomination as Attorney General John Sessions was too racist to be appointed a judge in Alabama in the 1980s. I mean, I think this is really concerning. I I totally take the points about infrastructure, NATO, whatever. That's all good. It will genuinely be a good thing if he finds ways to fix parts of America that are broken. But if he also continues to, as Tim says, uh, transgress uh, America and perhaps the world's moral norms over a a period of four years, I think that could have a really corrosive impact far beyond uh, big infrastructure projects, far beyond persuading Europe to spend a bit more money on defence.
3: I would like, Tim, to give us some guidance on this. Aren't there supposed to be checks and balances within the American constitution that fetter and indeed limit the power of the president? I mean, Obama is going to be leaving office, having achieved one tenth of what he wanted to do. We know the structure under him may not have allowed him to do that, but surely it should curb the worst excesses of mr trump she said crossing fingers
2: (laughs) (laughs) well look america is a very mature democracy you know the founders set up the system so that it could not have a despot you know there is a supreme court there's a house of representatives a senate to limit presidential power part of the problem is is that Because you've had this extended period of gridlock in in Washington where things cannot be done because the White House and the Legislative Chambers are in different political hands, Um, what you have seen is an increasing use by George W. Bush and even more by Barack Obama of this thing called executive orders. Now, executive orders are limited presidential powers, particularly when designed for, when, particularly when Congress isn't sitting, for the president to get the nation's business done. But over time, the presidents have increasingly signed executive orders because they haven't been able to pass legislation through Congress. Now, a lot of these are then and subsequently overturned by the Supreme Court, interprets them as unconstitutional. And in due course, I expect if Donald Trump started signing too many of those orders, that would happen to him as well. But in between a court making a decision... And it's possible for the Supreme Court to rush a decision if he did something particularly awful um, or seemed to be particularly awful. But there's quite usually quite a gap between those orders being signed and Supreme Court um, rulings. And so, yes, um, he is limited in what he, he can do. But I'm afraid the um, precedent set by his two predecessors aren't good. Now, just
0: before we wind up, we do need to discuss Nigel Farage, Donald Trump's suggestion, uh, <laughs> helpful suggestion that Nigel Farage should become U.S ambassador britain's us ambassador in washington
3: do you think he doesn't really know quite what nigel farage's job is because you know they're captioning <laughs> him nigel farage
0: on, doesn't know no, what his no, job is because they're <laughs> captioning
3: him in an american news broadcast as the leader of the uk opposition has he been entirely candid with Mr Trump about what he actually does back at home? Maybe he's just, he's bigged up the old CV, you know, maybe... Well, they've,
2: they've captioned him incorrectly in two ways, actually, And Yes, they've called him UK leader of the opposition, but they've also very much said he was the architect of the Brexit campaign. Well, I remember that the Brexit campaign fought very hard for him not to be the key representative in the key television debates, for example, because they know he was he was toxic and Nigel Farage constantly complained that he was being sidelined in the in the um, campaign. So, yes, Donald Trump needs to be. Educated in who Nigel Farage is. It's all got
3: a bit lost in translation, hasn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> but there is a, there is a problem where, well, he, as we saw those extraordinary pictures of him in the gold lift uh, when he was the first British politician or foreign uh, politician to meet. Uh, the president-elect, mainly because he was the only foreign politician hanging around in reception for four and a half hours before he was invited up to to see Donald Trump. And then we had, you know, the, we had the phone call, which apparently was all very nice, and uh, Donald Trump compared uh, his relationship with Theresa May to Rape and thatcher which she bristles at because she doesn't like the comparisons to the Iron Lady. Um, and that all seemed to be going quite well, and the Queen was going to roll out the red carpet for the state visit, and it felt like Downing Street was getting itself back into the right place with proper sort of diplomatic relations. In the middle of our night, Donald Trump fires off this helpful suggestion for a role uh, for for Nigel Farage, which, A, isn't
1: in his gift, and B, as Downing Street pointed out, there is no vacancy. This is a a total diplomatic nightmare for the Foreign Office and for Theresa May. I mean, Nigel Farage is not going to be the UK ambassador to America. But if he, he and his people do stay in close contact with Donald Trump and find a way to influence him, Uh, I think you could end up with a position where Trump says to the UK, not so long after he becomes president, well, here you go. Let's sit down around the table and talk about a free trade deal. Uh, The UK can't negotiate free trade deals until it's left the EU. And they then end up in a sort of dilemma where they are torn between uh, taking this offer of a free trade deal and getting around the table but significantly damaging goodwill with European partners as they try to negotiate their exit from the bloc along the way. That's a really complex issue for the government to try and extricate itself from. And as, as long as Nigel Farage uh, continues to uh, stay close to Donald Trump, I, I think it's fair to say he's not just got Britain's greatest interests at heart. I think he okay, might... Uh,
2: just challenge this a little bit, because I think that Henry is rightly emphasising, again, the negative downsides of Donald Trump, but I really do think we're familiar with all of those. What happened in the US elections was we ended up with a leader of the House of Representatives, a leader of the Senate and a president who are all pro-Brexit and all want to do a free trade deal with Britain. Um, America's economy is incredibly important to, to the UK. It's not as important as Europe's, but it is definitely the second most important. And in terms of investment, it's you know, even more important and particularly on uh, emerging industries. So look, Theresa May and Boris Johnson, like nearly all of us, didn't expect Donald Trump to win. And certainly didn't expect Donald Trump to win and the Republicans to keep the Senate. So this is a very unlikely scenario. And they really
0: didn't expect Donald Trump to win and then suggest that
2: Nigel Farage (laughs) was the most powerful politician. (laughs) Exactly. But I don't think we should worry about once Theresa May has sat down with Donald Trump, you know, for a little while and talked about the opportunities this is going to be a very, very beautiful relationship. Uh, you know, you know, bigly, believe me, bigly, believe me. Bigly. Do you know, yeah.
3: what my whole feeling is about this is what does Jared Kushner think of <laughs> Nigel Farage? Because I'm going to be asking myself that quite a lot because I reckon that Ivanka's husband is going to be one of the most influential people in this administration. That is what I would like to know. And I would dare say Jared would not necessarily be that impressed. And I think his is the voice. If we were if we knew what was on his mind and what he was whispering to Donald Trump, then we know a lot more.
0: Well, there we go. Well, maybe we'll try and get him on the podcast one week and we can find out. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, um, that, that's all we've got time for this week. As ever, do remember to subscribe to the Red Box podcast via iTunes or on your Android device so it gets delivered to your phone every week. Um, I hesitate with Tim here to ask for more reviews, but if you do want to post some on uh, iTunes, uh, that would be very helpful. Get in touch as ever by email, redbox at thetimes.co.uk, and you can tweet us at Times Red Box or find us on Facebook. And if you want political news, analysis, and gossip landing in your inbox every morning, sign up to my free red box email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox email. But for now from Anne, Henry, Tim, and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.
4: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.